soldiers, and they're not to get entangled with everyday uh, entanglements, I guess you could say. Uh, soldiers, of course, they fight, uh, they struggle. Uh, another uh, metaphor would be like a farmer. We're farmers, and that you know we plant the seed. Uh, we we want to grow. We want we want to have others grow. Uh, we're compared as the disciples or learners, uh, students, or students. We can, we can see that one. We are also uh, branches. I am the vine. You are the branches. Have you ever thought of yourself as a branch lately? And the branches have to live off of the sap that's in that tree, and that's where we get our nourishment and all the strength that we need. Uh, we're also known as a bride. Bride of Christ. We uh, are citizens, citizens of heaven. We are sons and daughters in this family. Can you guys think of any more? We're aliens here. We're aliens. That's right. Right? So there's a lot of different analogies that uh, God gives us to tell us what we are, like pictures. That's right. Light. We are light, right? He's the light of the world, but because of, like the moon does, it reflects the light. We are light here. And so all of those, it helps us get a view of what we are and what we do. And each one of those, they have their own particular weight to them, what they do. It's like what the Christian life is. So in this one today, it's like we are like an athlete. Now some of you like sports. Some of you really don't care. You could care less about it. But there is validity to sports and athletics and athletes. As if you didn't know, I, I like athletics. I like sports. Uh, of course, when you, when you do that, you, you run the risk of getting hurt, getting sore. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's the way it is with just about anything if you do something. Uh, we are compared to runners running a race, marathon race. When you think of athletics or sports, it's uh, kind of a universal language. It isn't just here in America or Jefferson City, Missouri. It's all over the world, isn't it? Sports is a universal language that anybody can kind of have uh, some kind of an interest in it. Um, when you're in a race, what's the first thing that happens? Well, the start, right? In the Christian life, the start is what? A new birth. It's where we become Christians. Then you have the track. Of course, the track would be the will of God. Are we on track or not, right? Then you have the rules. When you have sports, you have to have rules. If you're running a race, there are rules. What's our rule? The Word of God. Um, how about... You have to make progress in this race. You don't just go for a few yards and then just kind of stop. You have to make progress. And of course, that's spiritual growth. And of course, at the end is the prize. You know, a, a runner has to be motivated because he doesn't run just to run. There's got to be something you're, you're shooting for. Of course, the prize in the Christian life is Christ Himself uh, where we are fully conformed to Christ. And so that's what uh, Paul is uh, writing about. He uses this on several occasions, the idea of 
an athlete and the, uh, the race and and real real uh, in a real way Paul I think is speaking in an autobiographical way he knew what sports were at that time and how people could identify with it uh, he knew what it was like to live a Christian life and it's like okay I have all this doctrine how do I put it into my life you know how do I put it into practice you know we've been hearing doctrine for years and years we study it we read it and we believe it and yet at the same time we always need to do something with it not just keep it in the head and then that's it but it's something that we actually use that's the reason that we have the doctrine is how we uh, put it into our life so this is one major picture that Paul uses in this text here and I believe it's really easy to track uh, no pun intended right <laughs> easy to follow so uh, let's start with a word with the Lord. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for the gorgeous day you gave us. You give us the rain, you give us the sunshine, you just give us everything that we need and things we don't even have to have. And you give us pleasure in adoring your creation. We think about this passage tonight, how we are like athletes, we're like runners as you compare us to that, as we are to press on and uh, Lord may we take it seriously our Christian lives, our Christian walks, the race that we're in, uh, not just going by in a way just to get through life, but uh, going in a way that will win the race in a way that will please you much. So Lord, in this little text, help us to dig out some things that can really be valuable in our lives and that we would not only want to continue to press on, but to go at it in a very strong way. In Jesus' name, amen? So what we're about, we are to be growing more, you know, not just, you know, okay, just growing, but to grow in leaps and bounds to, to you know, be... Uh, running this life race in a speedy way, pressing on. So the first thing that we see in verse 12 is really a, an assessment, or a, I think I got it on your sheet as an evaluation. Paul had to evaluate himself. And he says, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, and he says, but I press on. So that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Um, here it would be this sober assessment because he could have thought that, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm Paul. They're going to know me as the <laughs> Apostle Paul one of these days. And then I'm one of the greatest Christians that's ever lived. Paul doesn't think that way, does he? Paul says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. He knew who he was. Now it's interesting, you have a, a word there that says it. Not that I have already obtained it. It. We have to see what the it is. There's an antecedent 
something prior before this that is in the text and to take it into context we have to back up so we go to verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Tony, is that your truck out there? Yes. Boy, that's a big truck. <laughs> that's a big, big truck. That was what that noise was all about out there. Yeah. <laughs> you got us a load of concrete out there? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> got some melons. Oh, hey. Melons? Better yet. A load of melons? That's where you No, not a load, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Want to put it out there? Huh? Well, I was at a contest. <laughs> so the it that's in verse 12 is really going back, and he's just back oh, a couple verses. Here's the it, knowing him. This is what Christian life is about, to know Him. Not know about Him, but to know Him. Any person that you really know, you know, I mean, you, uh, you have uh, uh, affections for, let's say, or you know that there are things about them that make up who they are, you know. So that's what Paul says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. First of all, what the resurrection did in justifying us, you know, and making us Christians, because without the resurrection, we would never be justified. Uh, it, it took that part of the uh, whole equation for us to be brought into the family of God, but it, it's talking about knowing Christ fully, uh, knowing the power of what that resurrection did in Him coming out of that death into life, because He is life, and then He gives us new life. That's power, isn't it? But it's a continuous thing, and to know that kind of resurrection, which is what we will see, we will uh, experience one of these days, ultimately, um, resurrection of our glorified bodies. I'm talking about power, right? So, resurrection, and even death, has not been fully formed yet. He says, in that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Of course, He suffered, Christ did, before He resurrected. So I want to know that resurrection power, even right now, but in, later on I will know what that really is in glorification. But right now, what do we have? Well, sufferings. Fellowship of His sufferings, because He suffered... We also suffer. And actually it's for the good because that's how we get the stuff beat out of us. Get the earth, the world beat out of us. Get ourselves beat out of us, right? And that's what Paul wants. And that's what he's aiming at as he goes through this whole text here. Uh, he hadn't emptied himself. Really, Paul hadn't yet. He would think, certainly this man must have. He hadn't lowered himself to the point of Christ. I mean, this guy went through probably more than anybody but Christ, you know, in the sufferings of uh, a Christian. 
And of course he was persecuted and killed because of Christ. He did not have the humbling that Christ had. Uh, in Philippians 2, uh, verse 7, Christ emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on, Christ, on, a, on a cross. So Christ, with His obedience, absolute humility, we know that He obeyed the Father in every way all the way to the point of death. Paul hadn't had that happen yet. But he did die because of Christ. So all along, he was getting Paul beat out of him. More and more stuff that he didn't need to finally, when, you are, when you're dead in this body, it's over. That race is now done. It's all been beat out of you. And you're now ready to wait to be glorified. So that that's kind of what Paul's saying. Yeah, I haven't arrived yet. This is Paul. So if he hasn't arrived, nobody is even close to arriving. You know, look back at Paul before he became a Christian. He was knocked off his high horse. <laughs> Literal, that's right. People would say that he's the greatest Christian that we see either in the New Testament or throughout history of the church. And I would say there surely probably wouldn't be hardly anybody that I know of that went through the things that he did. You know, some of us get a lot of stuff beat out of us. Others don't get so much beat out of us, but we should. Uh, John had it pretty rough. Oh, John the Apostle. Yeah. Matter of fact, they all did pretty well, didn't they? They all had that, of course. You think of, you know, there's so much to experience in this race, in our own in our own bodies. And we haven't really seen anything yet. We haven't attained it. We're not there at all. So what he says, perfect, he's saying, I'm not perfect. I haven't attained it. What he's saying here is, uh, I thought I once was. I really thought I was perfect. Because nobody was as good as I was. Go back. Chapter 3. We're already in chapter 3. This is just a few verses before this. What did he say about himself? Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. So he's a Jew. He came from the right stock of people from Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. If anybody is Jew, it's Paul. A Hebrew of Hebrews, he's top notch. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's out there. Like his bloodline go back to David or? Well, he he is from the tribe of Benjamin, and of course there were two tribes. It was Judah <coughs> and Benjamin. Now David would come through Judah, 
but Judah and Benjamin, those were the two, the last two tribes that were, you know, finally taken over. The, the lost ten tribes of Israel, and then you had the two, and he came from Benjamin. I mean, he, if anybody is a real, true Jew, it's me. I mean, I, real, I had, I knew the Bible. So the would you call I know they were a tribe that was very well respected uh, along with Judah and they had remained loyal up to uh, the time and uh, of course they were the southern kingdom, right? And he would been from uh, Benjamin was from Rachel. Of course, you think of Rachel, right? You, I mean that this is the very beginning of the Jewish line. I mean, so that is uh, a key aspect. He's what he's doing. He's starting with a general sense. Okay, I'm a I'm circumcised. I'm Jewish. You know, the eighth day, the circumcision, all that. A Hebrew of Hebrews, and then he says after that, as to the law. Pharisee. So, as a matter of fact, he would have been considered the Pharisee of Pharisees. With all of its legalism and all the baggage that goes with it. But he knew the Bible very well. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. So if you were Jewish and you hadn't become Christian, you were on that side of being a, a, a Jew and an Israelite, a Hebrew person. If you actually persecuted those people, you would be held in high esteem. He was at the top of that. What's the Hebrew? He, he, was, he was in the education, isn't that? Oh, yeah. Hebrew? Educated by Gamaliel right there in Jerusalem. The, uh, the seminary of seminaries. Highly trained. He was the, he was the best that the Jews had to offer. He says, as to the law found blameless. Righteous. As far as he was concerned, he had no sin. That's how far he took this. He was perfect. So we read a few more verses down, and then we see this pressing towards the goal. He says, I haven't attained it. Did he... Did he actually think that he had at one time before Christ? By what Absolutely. Man, by what man said you have to do to obtain it? He had all the degrees. That's where he was at. So, you know, and, and blameless. I mean, uh, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. There's nothing that you get him on. You know, you, you go through the Ten Commandments and it, he looked good. Like I was saying Sunday, though, it's the one that got him was uh, coveting, which really it, it leads to all the other sins. And who knows what was there? It's wanting something that is really not what God has for you. But at that time, he thought that he followed them all. 
So, matter of fact, he surpassed everybody in Israel. The Hebrew of Hebrews. So Audrey, that would be of all the Hebrew people, number one. I'm it. A little pride. A little bit of pride. A little bit of pride. Yeah. Anybody have reason to be proud? And he had arrived until he met the standard. Standard, of course, is Christ himself. He was taken down, wasn't he? And he literally fell off his horse. He concluded later that he was the chief of sinners. Now he realizes that as much as he has contributed to Christianity, he just begun the race. He just started this race. He also, he also, how wicked he was in that because he was killing Christ's followers. And Stephen was, I mean, you know, as great as he once was, the Lord showed him the error of that, what the arrogance can do. And he was exactly on the opposite side so in the very, the very furthest way he could take of it. Of what God, God really knows. I kind of think of when he says, oh, the Pharisee, the Pharisee. Jesus says to the Pharisees, because we read it in the Bible verse a while ago, in the church, and he said that you Pharisees, you do everything to gain one soul just to make it twice as wicked. So when the Apostle Paul is saying, you know, I was a Pharisee to the Pharisees, you know, I'm the chief of sinners, that's kind of what I think of when Jesus tells the Pharisees that that's what they do, and that the Apostle Paul is that's right if he would have been around in Jerusalem he's, he's of Tarsus because uh, he was educated in Jerusalem we don't see anything about Paul was literally walking the streets when, Jeru- uh, when Jesus was in, in the same area you know, it could have happened but we never see anything of that so we don't talk about that but if he would have been amongst those Pharisees he would have been the very one Jesus would certainly have been speaking about. Woe to you, Pharisees, scribes, Pharisees. Woe to you. He is one who was saved by grace. He would have kept on doing what he did because he was doing great. Uh-huh. I, I know there is no basis for this, but I have often wondered, just wondered, if the young ruler was a that's an interesting thought. Because he was a rich young ruler, and his problem was covetous. And and when he went away, Jesus loved him. And I'm thinking, anybody that Jesus lays his eyes on and loves, he's not going to get away in the end. That's my thoughts. But that's that's a deep, it's an, and it is a good thought. Wouldn't that be something if we exactly, find out in eternity that this Paul was that rich young ruler? Well, that's exactly what I thought about. Him. He's, just, <laughs> I almost, he's just like a rich young ruler that he was in the same same boat. Yeah, there's no yeah, difference yeah. at all. That's why that you came up. So it takes it takes God and His great grace and mercy and love to bring somebody out of that. That is the worst position you can be in when you're that well off the way that a Paul is because why would he join 
those ridiculous Christians whenever he's at the top. Whenever he's with the elite. This is what everybody wanted to be. Why would he want to be like Jesus? Exactly. Sleeping on a rock. He must have hate well he did hate him, didn't he? Yeah. He killed his people or and persecuted just, them. Just psychologically speaking too, since he went away because he had great riches, can you imagine the anger he had? He knew that this was right out here and yet he wasn't he wasn't gonna give that up. And the anger that that was spoken. That's why I I'm not saying for sure, but it didn't surprise me at all. Well, you know what he what he did as as far as that anger is concerned, he he has shown what he does. He's exposed how much anger that he had against Christianity and Christ. It's really Christ who his enemy was. Which uh, where is it found where it says that when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you were made Great text, Ephesians chapter 2. Because uh, I was thinking John MacArthur, because uh, we're talking about the Apostle Paul and how he's the chief of sinners and how God's grace took him from that. If he found himself dead in his trespasses and sin. So it's like God took him from that, from that you know, eternal suffering that, that he could have had. And he was turned around. And so it's just like really cool to think that when I see people, because I do. I work for a lot with non-believers, you know, people who promote and make movies and stuff. And I was just sometimes I'm like, God, you can turn this person around. Like, yeah, right. In my own eyes, I don't see any hopefulness. I don't see any, any opportunity for them. And I just remember that I was in that same place a long time ago. And it's just if God can turn me around, if God can turn the impulse around, then He can turn this person around. So it's just kind of, it still gives me hope for people out there like that who are just so far gone and lost. So it's just, it's cool to think that. There's no degree, there's no degree of loss though. Right. Loss is loss. Right. Yeah, like you sit there and said, and that's another thing you said about Paul, as much as whatever he did. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. No, he was not looking for him at all. That's why we have to believe in God's sovereign grace. Because if any man deserved to be in heaven, it had to be Paul, right? <laughs> no. But the way that he thought. I mean, talking about religious. <laughs> but we see that it, we're only saved by God's grace. It's not that we're good enough. And we don't even come close well, to that was Paul. Saying, the same thing. Like they said, we were all we were all lost. That's the whole thing. Is there's no nothing good, in no man, none of us, have any righteousness to offer Christ, yep. our God, except for His by His loving mercy that He takes some of us out. Of but what all the Christians must have thought though when He became a Christian. They didn't trust him at all. Yeah. And that's yeah. why whenever he came to Jerusalem, yeah. he only yeah. met with certain ones and yeah. they didn't didn't want him at all. Poor soul that was supposed to make him see again. Are you kidding me? <laughs> didn't he argue? Yeah. And he argues something with the Lord. You know, yeah, don't you know who this guy is? He's a big persecutor of who you are. You want me to do what? You're going to kill me. This is an end game. So that shows you that it's only God can save somebody like that. And like anybody. 
So this is where we're at. Paul realizes that he hadn't arrived. We've not arrived, have we? Not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect. Are we satisfied with our Christian life now? I'm a Christian, so da Let go, let God. <laughs> you know, and 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 not progress. That is like a baby being stunted at growth at two years old. You know, just growing fine and then boom. That's it. Wouldn't that be a terrible disaster? And that's what so many Christians do. Well, you know, it, you know, Paul has already said uh, that uh, to know him, the fellowship of his sufferings. So as we that means as we suffer in this life, and it, you know, a lot of people say the only kind of suffering is because, uh, uh, and, and it is good. I mean, persecution, is suffering, but there's so many different things in life that God uses that we wouldn't consider to be spiritual. But He uses everything to show how much we need Him. And so the fellowship of sufferings can include all that stuff. you know. And so I, I think what it is, it comes down to, and I like what you said, that we're, we're moving right towards that when it talks about you know, forgetting what lies behind pressing on to where we're really headed, knowing realistically, hey, this is what it's all about anyway, isn't it? So, Paul has a sober assessment. He's not deceived anymore. He was deceived before. Now he is not self-deceived. And he knew how far short that he fell of the standard, of the very glory of God. And so that's what he's admitting here. Uh, not that I've already obtained it. This is Paul saying this. Or I've already become perfect. But I press on. So we go to the second one. It's in verse 12 also. It's about effort. So we see his assessment, his evaluation. Now we see effort. It's a matter of fact, it is strenuous effort. When he realized how much ground he had to make up it motivated him here. Uh, it, it's reaching out to be more like Christ. So he says, but I press on. Uh, rapidly. Decisively. Uh, it means to press on. means to go after an object 
or it's like running on a track and there's a person that's ahead of you and you want to catch them as you really turn it on. That's the idea of pressing on. They're like 10 yards ahead and you're really giving it everything now because you want to catch up. In fact, you want to pass them, right? Well, Christ in this life is so far ahead of Paul. I press on. But the very thing he's talking about, there's other people on this race with us. And what he's doing, and that very thing he's sitting there saying, like in a race, there are obstacles, or he said, there's other people, and he's sitting there saying, well, how come it looks like everything's going so good for them? <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's what you're really sitting there saying, and sometimes, but if you're using your spiritual eyes to sit there and see, you're like going, oh, they're, they're taking this race really serious. They're preparing them, their heart and their mind to continue in the race. They're not just out there wheeling around on the thing hoping they survive it. Yeah, it's it, and it's it's so motivated motivated to be like Christ. I mean, isn't that the ultimate thing that all of this is all about? To be like Christ. Romans eight twenty nine and thirty in that area. It's all about that we would be like Christ. So to be like Christ, we're going to have to catch up. Well, in this life, we're never going to be perfect like Christ. But when we become glorified. We will be like Christ in the sense that we'll never fall short again. Now, He's still God. And we'll never be to that point. But in the sense that we'll be so much like Him there then. It's hard to, hard to imagine, isn't it? And that's what it's all about. Look in Romans 8. Look in Romans 8. This is what this life, even right now, is all about. Even though we'll fall so short of it, but yet, this is the plan. Why did He predestine us? Why did He elect us and such? Verse 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn. Christ would be the preeminent among many brethren. We're like brothers of Christ. He's our brother. Conformed to the image, the icon of His Son. So much like Christ. That's what it's all about. But right now in this life, we are to strenuously proceed and give every effort that we can to be more and more like Him. That's why Paul knew that he hadn't reached it yet. He, he wasn't at that, that point. I look back, when we use that word press, press on, look back at verse 6. We saw this earlier. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. You know what's interesting there? That word is the same as press on. How does that work? That persecutor of the church. How does that work? Well, one who runs after a Christian to lay hold of them and drag them before the tribunals. That's what he did. 
that was pressing on. He was a persecutor of the church or he pressed on on those people. He caught up with them. He ran and caught them and brought them before the judgment seat. As he was running to catch Christians, all of a sudden one day he had a 180. Turned completely, didn't he? He's still running full tilt. Back then, he was giving every effort because he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He, when he became a Christian, he ran full tilt. He never lost any energy. He has that same kind of powerful energy. But now, he's running after Christ. Running to catch Him. Always full tilt. Same same energy. But this time, he's fueled with the Holy Spirit rather than fueled with Paul's pride. Now, now it's in, he has a deficiency in Christ that he's trying to now catch up to. Yeah, and he really has it. Yeah. And he really he wants... He he's not messing around. Yeah. He he's a real. Deficiency yeah. He expended every ounce of his energy. And we know that. You just read through the book of Acts and then read through his epistles and you see Paul and you're you are amazed, aren't you? You admire it. But he was he's human. He's not God. He wasn't any special superman. But you know, he labored to the point of exhaustion. We know about that. So Paul, I guess you could say you've heard about the athletes, they left it all out on the track. They left it all out on the floor. They left it all out on the field. That means they gave everything they had. So, Paul's saying, I want you to keep pace with me. Well, you're Paul. I don't have that kind of energy to do that. Well, do we? Don't we? At the end of verse 12, you get a so that. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying there? Okay, you've heard of cause and effect, right? What's first, usually? You get the cause. Cause and effect, right? And then the effect, right? Well, in this case, the cause is last. And the effect is first. Here's the effect. So that I may lay hold of that. Um, actually, cause is Jesus laid hold of him. Now, we, if we go ahead and go to the, the last part first, we see that I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That's the cause of it all. He was laid hold of when he wasn't looking for Christ. Jesus, in a sense, tracked him down. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. We just said that. He was looking for Christians to persecute. He was pressing on to catch up with them, to persecute them, to kill them. Jesus laid hold of Paul. So we get the cause at the very second part of which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He turned him around. Paul says, I want to lay hold of Christ like He laid hold of me. So he became converted. Now I want to catch up with Him and lay hold of Him. 
Jesus pursued me. Now I have to give full effort because He gave everything for me to be in this race. Uh, that's why he's, he's apprehending and wants to apprehend more the knowledge of Christ and the fellowship with Him. Would you say the Christian life is kind of passive? It's not, is it? It is very, very active. We can't sit back, just wait. Paul was running with every ounce of strength to run after Christ because he realizes he's way up there. It's an all-out effort. Look, First uh, Corinthians nine twenty-four he uses that this athletic <clears throat> analogy again. He uses the Olympics here, <clears throat> and it's to the Corinthians. Would they have known something about the Olympics? <laughs> Absolutely. You had Athens that was close there. Corinth had its own athletes and Olympics. It says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? but only one receives a prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control, discipline, in all things. So if you're going to be an athlete, would you say, Avell, you have to be very disciplined if you're going to win? It has to be what you are... If you're really shooting for it, you really want it. Like uh, certain foods? Certain foods, like, yeah, you can eat sweets still, but it's when you can't eat sweets. It's because if you eat sweets, and then you're like, oh, I'm going to go run. First you eat the sweet, and then you're like, eh. And then so you skip on the, the running or the exercise or the fitness. And then, you know, the better food you put in your body, your body's more like, I feel like running again. And you're like, okay, let's do it. How about sleep? So it's a discipline, isn't it? Yeah. If you really want to go for it, if you're going to win, if you're not disciplined, you're not going to win, are you? Yeah. You can't just jump right into it because you'll sink and you'll do a lot of harm to your body versus you know taking your time to progress and naturally. Oh, isn't that the Christian walk? <laughs> yeah. We all just wanted everything at first. All of a sudden we start seeing reality. Okay, he goes on. He says, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. That's what they would win. But we have an imperishable prize. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body, make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He was very disciplined. He was striving for the crown. It sounds like uh, when he says, uh, he just read, I didn't that. First Corinthians 9:24 through 27. That kind of ties in with our Philippians, doesn't it? Yeah. Could you read that last line again? In, in what in the Corinthians passage? Uh, the one you just read. 
yeah, for, at 9.27, I discipline my body. Right. Or I buffet my body. Yeah, he says that uh, so that after he gets done preaching, he may not be disqualified, which makes me think of like hypocrisy. Like he's telling people not to do these things, and then when he's done preaching, he turns around right. and those things he told them not to do. Right. So he's saying, so that when I preach, I don't, I'm not disqualified because I haven't preaching to you what I do. But I'm telling you the way I serve the Lord. So living out that Christian right. life along with what right. you teach. Because there's moments where I have felt like I have preached to people and then I turned around and did what I told them not to do. And I, I can feel the I can feel the shift. I can feel the spiritual ease. You know, like I can feel the hypocrisy. And it just doesn't feel and I feel disqualified. So then I have to retrain. And I feel like I have to get back. Self-control, right. discipline, living, staying with it, right? It, it, it pays off. It's, it's an all-out pursuit. You know, it's resisting temptation. It's fleeing immorality. It's fighting the good fight, right? Uh, be, being a workman uh, that will not, you know, disappoint the Lord. Uh, oh, uh, labor and strive. Look at First Timothy four ten. Uses a lot of discipline kind of words, but it's not legalism. But it's saying you know we just don't lay back in the Christian life and you know just be ho hum. It it is living it wholeheartedly with every with everything. First Timothy four ten instructions to Timothy Paul gives and he says for it is this for this we labor and strive. Because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. We labor, we strive. The reason we do that, we know that we have a living God. We know where this is all going. And it's all it's not for uh, naught, is it? Uh, in Philippians two. You know what Philippians today, in yeah, Philippians I'm gonna, two. I'm gonna uh, make you you want to do the real quick thing on them? That sounds all great. But give some examples of laboring and striving. Well, um, in First Timothy 4.10, is that what you're talking about there, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, go to that word and what that word means. And we will find a lot of pictures in that word. We labor and strive. Uh, it's agonizomai or agon. Agony is how we get our English word uh, to you know to to do something physically. To exercise can be agony when you're doing whether it be pull-ups, uh, sit-ups, uh, push-ups. <laughs> All of those can really be agonizing. So that Christian life can be agonizing when we, you know, sometimes it's really hard to pray, but we keep on praying because we know we're supposed to. But sometimes it's, you know, you can't think of anything. It doesn't seem like anything is happening. Nothing is going on. And you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're reading the Word. Sometimes there are other things better to do. Watch TV or whatever. But you know you need to be reading the Word. 
And so sometimes that is such an agony because I just don't feel like it. Uh, fellowshipping with other believers. Maybe sometimes you just don't feel like being in fellowship. Right now, I'd rather be by myself. Uh, this is all discipline. This is agonizing. It's laboring. It's you know being in service. It's doing the things sometimes that we don't feel like, but we know we are to do. And you know that that's just kind of an a, an idea. What if you're in a race, you like to race. It's not you don't you don't want to be there. But here's you know it's always the cross before the crown. Right? There's suffering before there is victory. So, but you know, you get what you pay for. You know, and so we know what we're in this for. We know that, uh, well, Philippians 2. Carolyn, you're talking about that. Here again, it's, it's work, it's laboring, as the word is, it's agonizing. Philippians 2 12 and 13. And this is the same book that we've been in. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So working out our salvation, not working for salvation, but the salvation that we have is now working it out. Prayer, reading of the Word. Listening to sermons, messages, being surrounded by it. Matter of fact, it's not that, oh, this is agonizing, I don't like to do this. Then you better question, what, what's wrong with my attitude, right? We should want to do that. But it, it, it certainly can take our time, it can take our effort. But the more we are disciplined in that, the more we love to do that. Your thinking, and, and and always 
pinpoint it even further because just when we think we might have that down, it, it's always... It, it, matter of fact, how many here grumble? Every one of us do, don't we? <laughs> you know, just using that. Uh, Paul, you know, Paul, what did he say? Work out your salvation. And somebody would say, well, what does that mean? Well, as you said, starts off, okay, stop the grumbling. Well, that doesn't seem like a big sin, does it? Then you think about in the Old Testament, go, the Israelites. They were grumbling. He fed them out in the desert, gave them water, and they were grumbling in the desert. They were living out there. He was giving them all that they needed, but they grumbled about it. They complained about the weather. So that's how do we work that out? Well, we stop it. Well, God doesn't take that lightly either. When they were grumbling no. about that manna, He sent them some birds. Yeah. And then He took them out. <laughs> Everybody that had a bird. And boy, they ate their fill, didn't they? Oh, didn't they? they loved it. Yeah. God then said, that "Okay." I think, and I think in Philippians too. Like you said that right in the verse twelve, yeah. As he says, work out your salvation. You know what the next phrase is there? With fear and trembling. God doesn't take it lightly. He is serious. How serious are we as Christians? But that he said, it is God who is at work in you. Just in case we want to kind of boast about something. Well, you know, we have a hierarchy of sin. God doesn't. <laughs> you know, murder is really bad. We're not going to do that. You know, uh, lying, yeah, that's pretty bad, but it's excusable sometimes. Grumbling, come on, everybody does that. How is that bad? So we have all this, you know, we have a pretty silly hierarchy. Boy, is there a lot of stuff to get beat out of us? Yeah. That's what Paul is talking about. I'm sure that there were times where Paul probably felt like grumbling. Places that he wound up at. But, hold fast the word life. So, what do we have here? I think he's saying, pick up the pace. Discipline yourself for godliness. Right? And that, that takes in, you know, the Bible study, prayer, worship. Evangelism, missions, and you know, you know, stuff that you do, but it, it, it's all attitude here. And in verse thirteen, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do: forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. We're not going to be able to finish this, but to give you just a little bit of a preview. We'll, we'll go on to this next week. You guys like to do that? The runner keeps his eye on the prize. So here's our third one. It's a singular focus. If a runner starts going like this and is running, he's going to lose the race. You ever seen a runner look back? You ever seen him stumble and fall? You ever seen a football player? Make a great catch. He's way out in front of everybody when he makes that catch. He's getting ready to go to the end zone. What does he do? 
He turns around. And somebody comes to the blind side and boom, takes it. He was getting ready to cross the goal line. I like the ones that have the football. Just before they get to the goal line, they go like that. And spike that thing. And, of course, it goes in the end zone. And he loses his touchdown and goes back to the other team. Keep your eye on the prize. Go all the way to the finish. <laughs> there is so much of Christ to be present in life that you know you think of attitudes, you think of actions, reactions, um, priorities, our speech, all of those things are there and Christ needs to be present in every one of those. Anyway, I guess really that's probably where we... Brethren, I do not regard myself. You know what the word for regard there is? Logizomai. Uh, logarithm. Logarithm, right? Logizomai. Or logism... Uh, uh, speaking... You know, you think of mathematics. Uh, calculations. Paul here, I don't regard myself as having laid hold you know, negatively, but I regard myself... reaching forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting in in the negative sense, but then going further on the plus side of it, and then, you know, it's a specific reasoning. Logizomai. Specific calculation here. And he he says one thing. I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. And that's exactly exactly what that means. Yeah. Yeah. You ever heard of truckers having a log book? Tony, do you have a log book you have to? No. Okay, that's good. <laughs> but you put that, you know, what is that doing? It's making an account of all the miles that you've done, what you've done, right? That's that, And that's the idea of log insomai, to, uh, the log book, yeah. Yeah. Well said, because what it is, come on, come on, right. guys, you can do it. You know, you know what I mean. Right. Come on, you know, I'm, I'm here. You can get right up here with me. Come on, we got to do this. We can do it. We can do it. He, he, he must have battled with um, that um, people idolizing him, putting him up oh, on a pedestal, I, thinking he I, was. I bet so. Better than them, and I mean, we do that with everybody. We do that with any authority, with the president. Whoa! <laughs> you know, the, I 
mean, we just set people up. But he's just one of us? And then, yeah. and then they say, well, so I bet he battled with that. I bet he did. Yeah. And then they ask him, Paul, where are you staying at? He's going to the jail. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on. Come on with me. Come on with me. Yeah. 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 Well, how many times did he say, imitate me? Right. But even when before Christ, Paul was idolized. I'm sure he loved it. Oh, I bet he loved it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, young men were trying to well, be like him. They were, they were following. They were trying to be as good as him. Right. Yeah. Right. No doubt about it. And, but he wanted them to have the right motive as why they would, like a Timothy, you know, that he, he encourages to come on. He really gets on to Timothy quite a bit. There were things that Timothy was getting ready to, you know, give it up. Paul had to encourage him on. Well, Paul was going to show the suffering. Suffering in Christ is worth the reward. Yeah. Is really what that is. That you, like I said, that you're to suffer for, you know, in the Lord's name. You'll be suffering. Fellowship of suffering is really what the Christian walk is. As a Paul had already gotten a real good dose of it, maybe a time's over. But like I said, like I said, sometimes people respected it, and sometimes people try to put you down that you're nothing for it. Then you Keep yeah, yeah, super right. apostle. Right. Right. Super right. sheep. Yeah. <laughs> We're super sheep. Anyway, I like this text because it is all good for it. It's encouragement, isn't it? And it's really like it's like saying sometimes we can just kind of get on a kind of a it's it's just a lull. Believe me, I know it's easy to get that way. And you say, Come on, get up. Let's go. We'll keep moving. You know, we got a race to win. We want to win this thing. You know, it's not just a pep talk. It's saying, here's what the Christian life is. It's good because at the end of the race, we have the motive, don't we? Yeah, we have the perfect you motive. If you the race, then you get to go. Yeah. So yeah. I'll tell you, if you're just lounging around, you might just be here a little You might as well start looking like Christ <laughs> now. <laughs> you might as well just get your act together and keep on going because you'll finish the race. Right. <laughs> Thanks for coming out tonight, guys. Great to see you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word this evening that we've had. Help us to apply some of the things that we have talked about and need to be reminded of and be encouraged. Lord, You give us the power through Your Spirit, and that's how we're able to win this race. In Jesus' name, Amen. Wow, that generates a lot of really good conversation, doesn't it? Good stuff. Edifying. For the edification. Oh, you're always under that. Oh, you yeah. know what? Well, hey, if I turn that, that would really be nice. Wouldn't that be great? Because you're going to be there the whole Michael looked at me for a long time. Did you hear Debbie like to change twice? She doesn't have. She's a sitting over there. I think you're here to keep the door I know, it's probably got a good way of going. I can't sit over there. Everything would be wrong. Weird. I should Weird. All right. Well, that's a big day then. Enjoy. Bye, y'all. Bye. Or my bathroom.